episode of Software Social is sponsored by Balsamic, makers of Balsamic wireframes, everyone's favorite low-fidelity wireframing tool. Balsamic is designed for founders who have great ideas for their apps but can't afford to hire a full-time UX designer. Balsamic is as easy as using Keynote. Drag and drop elements on the page, and you'll have the screens for your app designed in no time. You can then review your designs with a developer or prospective client before writing any code. Because they're already well-known in our community, Balsamic have decided to donate their airtime to you, listeners of this show, starting with the next episode. If you want a promo code for Balsamic, visit balsamic.com backslash go backslash software social. So, as you may have just noticed, we have a sponsor now. So exciting. Um, <laughs> it is exciting. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we so we got, we got reached out to by Balsamic and October um, to our official podcast email address, which I actually never checked because I didn't expect anyone to email us. And I found this email sitting there in December and uh, was like, oh, my God. That's funny. I had no idea that they they did that. Um, Yeah, I never check our email address either. (laughs) We check it now. Uh, Yeah, it's really, you know, I'm really happy it was Balsamic because I do use them. And I just think it's really cool to have a sponsor. Although now my podcast about my product is making more money than my product. You'll get there. It's okay. <laughs> get there. I'll get there. I did have one more person sign up. Stripe paid me $10. What? I know. $10 whole dollars. I win. That's awesome. Wait. <laughs> it is awesome. Wait, Stripe yeah. paid you $10. Is that the first money you've gotten for it? Y- yes, ma'am. It sure is. <gasps> That's a huge moment. Oh, my gosh. It, it is a huge moment. It, it's exciting. I wish you could tape a dollar bill to your terminal. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I totally should. I should ask Stripe. Be like, can you like send me like one dollar bill from this <laughs> so I can tape it up on my wall? So this is really exciting. We're really excited to have a sponsor. Um, but th- you know, this reminds me of something else, which is it's really hard times right now in the world. Like, there's there's just no getting past that. Um, and if you're listening to this show, you, you're probably interested in running a bootstrap company or you're trying to start a start project yourself and um and I, I and I just want to say for a second how like yes this is amazing and we just got a sponsor but I also don't want to add to this perception that sort of that I pick up sometimes that sort of everybody else is doing well except for oneself right like I feel like you know on, on Twitter and and everywhere else where the the community kind of congregates like we tend to share positive things more than we do things we're struggling with, right? Um, yeah. And and I've noticed in a couple of smaller communities I'm in and, and sort of private places this this past uh, couple weeks that I've seen more people saying like, wow, it feels like everybody's killing it except for me. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I think there there's so much – when we share publicly – you know, we're protecting ourselves and we're protecting our ego. And so we share the good things and we don't share the challenging things. And it is a really challenging time. And and I agree with you. It's important to remember that things are hard and everyone's coping with this situation differently. Like just three days ago, I was lamenting how much I missed my full-time job because it was so low stress. Like it was so much easier than this. (laughs) And, um, And, you know, some of my friends were able to give me a pep talk, but... I was just like, this is a terrible idea. I'm wasting my time. So 
So I think those emotional highs and lows are, are normal. And I think they're exacerbated right now because of external stresses. Absolutely. And, and so I just kind of want to say that like, if you're finding yourself not able to focus and, or feeling like you're spinning your wheels and, and things aren't working, like that's okay. And you're okay. And you will be okay. And also at the same time that if you find yourself working compulsively and unable to stop working to the point of, you know, working instead of um, being near friends and family or things like, 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 that is also a trauma response in the same way that not being able to do anything is as well. And we all respond to trauma and, and stressors differently. And no matter how you're reacting, you're okay. And other people aren't sharing the full story of what's going on in their life. So it's not just you that's struggling. Other people are too. But this is not a current events podcast. It's not a mental health podcast. We're not going to go into that too much more. But I did just want to make a note of that. since I mean, like the last few weeks have been just really hard. But you do have good news, right? Amidst all of this, there are somehow good things happening too, which is also just mentally confusing. Um. <laughs> yes. So I, you know, I just did mention that emotional swing I had this week. I was like, this was a terrible idea. But um, things, my signups have been pretty steady. And I did get one more customer who has signed up, um, put a credit card down outside of Heroku. So that makes four or five now. And um, I have 89 Heroku users. So anticipate being ready to start charging in the Heroku marketplace in a couple weeks since I'm Dude. averaging so far. It's been about, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Like I, I'm super excited. So of those 89 people or teams, I 40 have actually uploaded files. So for me, what makes it sticky is, is using it, right? So considering how easy it is to sign up, I'm not upset. I feel like that's actually a pretty good number. I'm trying to take each week and focus on one technical thing and one marketing thing. So, um, because I'm just really struggling with, like, I feel like we talk about this every week now that I've launched something is how to prioritize my time. I have to actually figure out what to charge because I'm going to be charging people hopefully in two weeks. Oh, wait, you said you had, <laughs> so the Stripe signups were those people who added their credit cards, but they don't have, they haven't incurred a charge yet? No, they have, I mean, it's $10, um, but some, one of my friends recommended I change, I change the price significantly. Um, his argument was that I'm not really a commodity. I'm acting like I'm a commodity when I talk to you, when I think of it in my head, but I'm not really a commodity because I'm not just providing storage. I'm providing all of this architecture around storage to help you deal with your files. Like I'm not just reselling AWS buckets. There is someone who does this by the way. It's, it, you know, and his point was my closest competitor is charging $89. So I should just, he, his suggestion was just charge 75% of that. Interesting. Yeah, it was an interesting thing. I think that, um, I mean, and you know, I don't know a lot about pricing, but what I, what I have heard and what I have read is that, you know, it's probably easy. If I start out way too high, I can always come down. But if I start out way too low and I realize I'm, a, I'm incurring a lot more charges than I realize, it's going to be harder, not impossible, but it's going to be harder to scale up. So I just need a starting point and, you know, I can, I can adjust it. So I've kind of been thinking about how I want to do that. Um, yeah, and I got to sort that out. So I, I was thinking about this the other day. 
you said you only have one close competitor and they they don't even really do like fully do the same things that you do well this is this is this is becoming a this is this thing i am building is becoming different than what i had intended and i thought of you because i keep explaining myself by saying well i didn't intend for people to use it with images i intended them you know i intended for them to use it with you know all the other files on the internet but what I have learned from the 40 people that are actually using it is people are predominantly using it with images. So I am slowly rebuilding this, this other service that a lot of Rails developers use is called Cloudinary. And they're a great company, but they provide this like huge architecture ecosystem that's just kind of a lot to figure out if you just want, you know, minimal um, you know, if you just if you just need a couple files here and there, like using their service is kind of exhausting. But I'm slowly, it feels like I'm slowly rebuilding their service because what I'm finding is people are using it for images. So I just, I think, and that makes me a little nervous because I'm not trying to compete with, you know, this company that is $60 billion a year or something. Maybe it's a million, a lot of, a lot of dollars a year in business. Um, so I don't know. Okay. Now I'm kind of off topic, but, but I've been trying to think about like, what it, who is my market? Who am I trying to serve here? Because I am more and more approaching a similar, you know, a similar service to what they offer. So like, how do I distinguish myself from them? And who, who can I serve that they are not serving? Like I said, they're predominantly, as I understand, like they hit a lot of rails developers. So, you know, maybe once I move to other marketplaces, I'll have more opportunity. And maybe this is all a terrible idea. <laughs> it's not a terrible idea. This is how I got to like, oh, this was a terrible idea. Why did I do this? That's a perfectly normal thought to have many, many times. Like, I mean, that's a thought I have pretty much every time I ha when I go hiking. And then, it, you know, afterwards, I'm like, always oh, like, that was so great. But like, you know, it's getting dark and you still have three miles to go. And you're like, why did I think this was a good idea? That's what <laughs> building a product is like. So these people who are signing up with you, you said that Cloudinary is also focusing on Rails developers. These Rails developers are signing up with you instead. Have you been able to like grok from them why they are signing up with you and not Cloudinary? I have not, and I need to figure that out. That is actually now, you know, now that you say that, that is such an obvious thing to try and figure out. My, okay, I know I talk a lot on the show about my hypothesis, and you're always like, go ask the customer, stop guessing. It's okay to have hypotheses. Okay. I have them all the time, but you have to go test them. That's It's the first step right. in the process. So when I think back to why I wanted to build this, as opposed to using Cloudinary, it was because there are two things, and this may have even changed, but Cloudinary's focus is not on their upload widget. As far as I can tell, their focus is more on, on um, you know, uh, the whole ecosystem surrounding handling your images, but not really how you get your images into the storage. So they have a widget, but uh, the U I, I think the UI of it is really icky. Uh, not icky, that's a terrible word. I think the UI of it is, it's not what I wanted. And the setup, just like, I mean, they must have a thousand pages of documentation because they provide this amazing set of features, but just trying to, I set it up on this client's website and you know, just the setup took hours. So my hypothesis, which I have to test, is that people sign up with me because of the five minute setup. They set it up, they don't have to do anything else. It is super fast. 
So if I think of how I can compete with them, I got to pick a different market. Um, it's easy and it's simple. I don't want to offer 5,000 features like they have, right? Like I want to keep my feature set tight and I want to, you know, I also, they don't, they, at least they didn't allow you to have multiple widgets on a page. And the project I was working on needed like multiple widgets on a page. So, so there's like little things like that, that I think distinguish, but I think the biggest factor is the ease of setup. And so you mentioned there focusing on like a tight set of features and on, you know, it, it sounds like you really want to focus on a, on a type of customer that is not very well served by them. Um, and, and that's such a critical thing to, to figure out because, you know, if you were to go and just like look at their site and literally just build a copy of their service, that would probably be a failure because you're not building the insights of why people don't just use them, why they aren't willing to go through that process and put up with that price for it. And so... And so I'm curious, like, like, do you feel like you have gotten more commonalities in what people are telling you about why they're using the service? Last time we talked, you had kind of all of these different things and, and, and you had people from uh, different functions with, with different purposes and some people within companies and, and, and some people with consultants and front end developers and back end, like, and like this whole like mix of people. And I'm curious if you've started to hear similarities in your conversations with customers. In terms of their industries or in terms of what they're doing? In terms of the activity that they're trying to do. So like putting this in those, the jobs to be done terms, which very much looks at rather than looking at customers by function or industry and, you know, looking at things like, you know, market size and all that kind of thing. You instead look at customers by process similarities and people who are trying to accomplish similar things or who are going through similar sets of steps in order to, to reach their end points. And so I'm curious if you've seen any similarities in those steps. Well, I think, and stop me if this is not exactly what you mean, what I'm seeing, which again, I didn't really anticipate, I probably should have though, was most people are using it for images and they're using uh, some people, the image collection is a, is a primary goal of the service and the other, like it's a secondary goal. I think you need to be a little more gentle with yourself and forgiving that you did not foresee this coming. I think that's totally normal. And that means that you're, that means you're learning and that's valuable and you know, I think this sometimes there's this perception and sometimes this is how products are built, that people just gather in a conference room and decide everything it needs to do. And that's everything the customer is going to want. And, you know, then you spend a year and a half building it and that's it. Um, but I think that the, you're learning, right? Like that that's that's valuable. You took what you were struggling with and now you're learning what other people need to do this with. And so that's that's exciting. It's a weird feeling. But that's totally okay that you're learning that people are using it for something else than you had originally pictured. And what I'm seeing too, and I think there's like kind of a mental block here too, is this product is not going to be particularly unique, right? It's not like like going to be some cool new hotness that no one has thought of. It's going to be another like way to handle files. That's okay. That's a common thing I know, it's just, that developers need to do all the time. And if you can save them from wading through thousands of pages of documentation and let them do it in five minutes, people appreciate that. 
But I want to be special, Michelle. Look, I'm not doing a cloud AI internet of things take over the world service here either, okay? Like, (laughs) not all of us can take over the world, and quite frankly, many of us don't want to. It's perfectly okay to have a boring business that a business will reliably pay for every month and have it be something that gets you blank stares at cocktail parties or cocktail Zoom parties or whatever it is we have now. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's okay to be boring. Yeah. And I think, so I think for me, you know, um, I think for me, it's really with this product, if I'm going to make this work, because there, as I get more and more into the image space, there are more and more competitors. And so I think if I'm going to make this work, I have to, um, there, there's some things I can do, but I have to find the right audience. And I don't know who that's going to be yet, but I think that's going to be some trial and error. Keep talking to people. You have people coming to you, which is amazing. Yeah, it's good. And I have a couple, like, just a handful of people who are really into it and who are, like, constantly chatting with me about feature requests. And and uh, so those people are fun. Um, I really enjoy, enjoy that back and forth of how they're using it and how it's helpful for them and things like that. So you said earlier that you have about 80 users right now. Is that 80 total signups or... 80 people who are actively using it. Because I know for Heroku, there's like this rule that you have to have, a, you have 100 people who are actively using it in order to be allowed out of the, um, you know, the little protective garden and be able to sell it. So it's 89. And so I only have to get 11 more people. But those are all those people are actively using it or they're installed or what? what? They have installed it. They have gone through the process of installing The metric it. that Heroku cares about. Right. Okay. They have met right. the Heroku <laughs> metric. <laughs> um, and so this other thing, so I spent a lot of time this week. So I think we talked about a while ago, when someone installs it, they have to make it to the second step, uh, single sign-on, in order to get like all the good stuff. And um, I spent a lot of time this week wrapping up the Heroku platforms partner platforms API because using that API, I can actually get their email address before they hit single sign-on. But it's like it takes like four API calls. It's ridiculous. But the cool thing I discovered when I was playing around with this API, I can also get their website. Oh. So tell yeah. So tell me if this is cool or creepy. So I was thinking of like, one of the things I should do is I could do, my goal would be like maybe five to 10 people a week. I'll like hit the API, I'll get their website and I'll actually like check out their website, see how they're using it and then send them a personalized email about like, hey, I saw you're using it this way. And, and you know, I was, you know, as like details. Is that awesome? I think that's brilliant. Is that brilliant? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think so. Like, you know, if somebody's using a corporate email address and it's the, that's the website where they're using it. Yeah, it's nothing, like, secret. Like, this is a, a, a website. I think that's cool. Like, you know, I mean, being like, hey, like, I checked out your site. Like, I, I would love to hear more about how this fits into your process and what you're trying to accomplish. So when I target those people, should I target the people? You tell me what you think, then, then I'll be back. Should I target the people who are already actively using it? Or should I target the people who are not actively using it? I mean, what do you think? Or just go through them all? I think you could do both like and you know there's the the already signed up and using it email could be something along the lines of hey I noticed you've you know 
you've started using the service. I would love to hear about what you're working on and how Simple File Upload fits into your process and what your overall project look, looks like. And then the people who are getting started, I, I noticed you just signed up. I'd love to hear more about what you're planning to use it for and why you've chosen to use this over alternatives or what other alternatives you're considering to try to do whatever it is you're trying to do. Because I think that question of why are people choosing you over alternatives will tell you so much about your audience and what your product should focus on. Uh, I'm a little afraid if I ask them, they're going to ditch me and go pick someone else. That's okay. I mean, that's a, that's a, they're going to be like, oh, I didn't even know about this other service. I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the, you know, that's the, the fear of you, you go to the prom and your date sees everyone else there and is like, why the hell am I with you? And I think as most of us can attest, that doesn't actually happen. Um, and, you know, people might be doing a, you know, a, a process to evaluate vendors. And if they're doing that and they'll tell you that, and they'll tell you which other vendors they're looking at and how they're comparing them. I mean, that is a goldmine of information. Like, that's really valuable. Like, the reasons why they choose somebody else. Like, the thing is, is somebody says, well, we went with this other service because they do X, Y, and Z and you don't do that. That could, like, with that information, you have a choice with what you do with that. You can either decide to go copy those features or you can decide, you know what, this doesn't sound like a customer that's right for me. Like, it sounds like they're doing, trying to do something that, for whatever reason, is not something that's within your, your wheelhouse or, you know, the, you know, if they tell you that they went with another provider because they're SOC 2 compliant, then that's not like, that's a like, okay, that I wasn't going to get that customer anyway. Um, but if they tell you it's because of some simple difference in the feature, then that's something that's very actionable. You know, unfortunately for you right now, there are, you know, product-based reasons why people, especially like teams and, and, you know, operational people within a company will choose a product. And then there are also, you know, procurement and operational reasons why they will choose something else that have little to do with the actual features of the product. And I think it's really critical to try to distinguish between those because some of them are actionable for you at the moment and some of them may not be and are just kind of things to just file away for later but getting some detail on that can be really helpful yeah i mean more information i think at this stage is, is good yes as much information you can get from your customers like and and that's why it's so key to get them on the phone and get them comfortable talking to you because people will be more open talking on the phone and I specifically say talking on the phone even though it may be over zoom because if you can when you're doing the calls with customers schedule them as a call not as a video chat first of all most people are so tired of video chat at this point um, but I find that people are more willing to be open with you when you're a like disembodied voice and they can't see your face um, than they than they are in video. Now there are some cases where you know you need to walk through something with someone, or you need to see their screen, or which is also really helpful. Um, but I, when I'm scheduling things, I, I purposefully mention that it's going to be audio only. And I, and I find you know if you can get your customer rambling about what they're trying to do, like that's a dream scenario. Like you know, yeah, get as much information as you can and and take notes and 
find some way to make that information usable in the future, even if it's just throwing it into a Google Doc so you can control F search it later for keywords. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. So yeah, so I'm really just trying to prioritize what to do next. I'm trying to do one marketing and one technical task a week, but I'm finding like, especially in this early stage, there's a lot of technical work. Like I was having these server timeout issues because of the way I'm, I'm processing thumbnails. Um, so I had to deal with that this week. There's always technical work. I don't want to get too sucked into that to the point where I forget that I need people to sign up, right? So that's always the balancing act. I think as developers too, you're so tempted to work on all the technical things and just push the marketing things aside. And when I looked at my day, when I, when I looked at my week to review for this podcast, it was mostly technical and like one tiny marketing thing. So next week, I want to hopefully flip that a little bit and do more marketing. I um, am trying to decide like kind of what I should do next. I'm thinking more documentation. I was thinking maybe I shouldn't make them put a credit card in for the for to sign up. I was thinking, what else was I thinking? I was thinking I should go on another marketplace. Like I'm all over the place with what to do next. Any suggestions? Have you had people bring problems or issues to you that could be solved by more documentation? No, but you can't really access the good documentation until you have signed up. So I I am someone myself, before I sign up for something, I want to read all your documentation because I want to know if it's going to work for me before I go through the sign up process. So on my main website, I don't have any documentation. You have to actually sign up and go into your customized dashboard to get like the good, the good information. Yeah, I'm looking at the site now and I'm seeing that. And our documentation page is consistently one of our top entry pages. Okay. I think that should probably, and you know, again, I know we talked about this when I did documentation last time, but it, you know, you tend to kind of drag, you, I tend to kind of drag my feet on it because it feels monotonous, but I added this feature for someone and I'm not even documenting it anywhere. So no one else can use it. (laughs) So it's like, that's no good. Um, so I think from this week, like my goal will be to shore up some documentation. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And and you know, the other things you, you talked about around not requiring a credit card or changing the pricing level, those are really important things, big, big things that, that, I mean, people will test all the time. But it sounds like this documentation thing is, is something very concrete that you can get out there easily and where you're saying that it's more difficult to gear yourself up for doing marketing work. I think that makes a lot of sense to start there because it feels like something you can easily like check off the list and it feels done. Yes. And it's not that I don't like the marketing work. I think what I really want to learn through this process is how to do marketing. Like part of this, you know, a lot of people who, in, you know, while, while I was getting my pep talks, a lot of people mentioned that maybe this isn't a great idea, but most people who are successful eventually, it's because they're in motion. So for me personally, being in motion is better than sitting around reading about other people being in motion. Absolutely. And yeah. So the marketing stuff, I do want to learn, but I'm going to be honest, like it's all new to me and I'm just kind of tired. Yeah. Like, I'm just I mean, kind of tired learning new things. And like, as, as we talked about like earlier when the world is going to hell in a handbasket it's hard to 
you know, to focus on like growing and, and learning and, and finding the mental space for that when things are not stable is very difficult. And, you know, I find that some, you know, sometimes you just need to focus on things that are tasks and like that you can just bang out tasks. Like that's what I find a lot of myself doing, right? Because like, like I had to plan some very deep work uh, projects for the next couple of months and because of, of lockdown and school closures, I've, I've had to shelve all of those. And so I'm just doing those small task type things. But that's still productive work. It's, you know, the, the technical work you're doing is, is, is still helpful. Um, as long as you're not kind of going down sort of wild goose chases of, of things that are very tangential to, to what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's why I think... The documentation this week is a great goal for me because it is very, um, very needed and very kind of easy. You know, it'll take a chunk of time, but I know how to do it. I can just do it and check it off and see if that moves the needle at all on signups. It'll take some time to show, but that's really, it's a really interesting insight that like noticing your own behavior when you are looking at a service yourself and making mental notes of, okay, what am I doing here? What are the different things that I'm considering? What are the different behaviors I'm doing? Like the first, you know, the first thing of going to look at the documentation and then using that to improve your own product, like being able to sort of sit on your own shoulder and observe yourself and then use that information for your own product is a really valuable mind shift. Yeah, totally. That's going to wrap up this week of Software Social. We'll talk to you next week. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from The Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of WorkCited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.